Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this is the start of season two of the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm back and feeling refreshed and this week's episode is actually sponsored by Joanne Clevier's dance production, The North. It's on at the Rep Theatre on the 30th of September at eight o'clock. I could sit here and tell you what it's all about, but I'd, I'd probably just butcher it, to be honest. So I thought it'd be better for Juan to tell you guys himself. Um, so here's Juan with a little description. Uh, hello, my name is Juan Clevier, and we are presenting The North at The Rep. And it's a dance theatre production about our fascination with the idea of North, the landscape, uh, the animals, the creatures, but also the dark humour, the silence, the people, the stories, with a lot of... Uh, strange things happening in it. So yeah, as I said, um, if you want to go along and see that, it's Saturday the 30th of September at 8 o'clock at the Rep. So um, you can get tickets at dundierep.co.uk forward slash event forward slash the north. Um, you can obviously pop in in person and get tickets or give them a ring on 01382 223530. Um, a couple of little things um, about the performance as well. It's going to be British Sign Language interpreted uh, by Jennifer Ramsey. And afterwards, they're doing a sort of discussion session. Um, and actually, before the performance, they're doing something really interesting. They're having a, an open rehearsal session with the dancers performing. And you're encouraged to come along, whether you're a designer or an artist, or you just like doodling. Um, bring a sketch pad and you can sketch and draw um, as the dancers uh, perform and warm up for, for the evening session. And if that's not quite uh, convinced you yet, you can go online to joanclevydance.com and check out some photos from the performance. Um, some, yeah, the, the aesthetic of it is, is absolutely beautiful. Uh, really worth checking out, especially if you're interested. And there's a, a trailer and a few other videos on there. So if you check out the website, again, uh, all the links are in the show notes. I've actually got Joanne on in a few weeks' time for a really interesting chat about his work and the North performance. Uh, and we talk about the, the, the upcoming tour as well as uh, the North goes round Scotland. So... Yeah, on to this week's podcast. It's number 36, and it's the third in the instalments of Punch In, Punch Out. Obviously, there's two episodes already out that um, you can listen to, um, but they don't have to be in any particular order. But if you don't know what they are already, basically we, we had an installation at the Dundee Design Festival this year where we had a rack full of questions, where I guess we'd, we'd pick a question, come in for a two to three minute chat, so, which was recorded, and then once you'd answered a question, you got to add your very own to the rack, which helped contribute to the conversation. So we did over 100 recordings, and these episodes are a collection of those different recordings. One thing to note is that at the very end, uh, there's a, there's a sort of extended chat between myself and Sean Parkinson, the producer of the festival. And what we did was we took all the leftover questions, the ones that were still on the rack, um, split the pile in half and did a sort of rapid fire um, answering of them so we took half each which is, is quite a funny way just to end it and just round the, the feature off so that's this week a um, couple of little just housekeeping things about the podcast um, I do have loads of great interviews lined up already to go um, and a few exciting things that are different just mixing it up um, and a couple of things that will be announced in the coming weeks but the merch the Mini books, the prints and the badges are out in the wild. Um, they are being stocked by, uh, the prints have been stocked by Brewdog 
and the DCA and Carticon have the badges, uh, which is fantastic. It's, it's really helping spread the word and get it out there. And all the sales of, of those are going towards helping me keep this going. So, yeah, you can also check out the merch on the website, ccc.dundee.com. Um, or if you know of somewhere who or you would like to stock the merch yourself, then get in touch and let me know. So, yeah, that's my ramble for the start of the second series, but let's jump into the podcast. This is episode number 36, and this is Punch In, Punch Out, episode three. Okay, so what's your name, please? Hi, my name is Karen Ingalls. And your question? And my question is, uh, should we make the logo bigger? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I suppose it depends on where, who the question is coming from. Um, I work as a, as a designer, so I'm constantly being asked to make logos bigger. Um, and I suppose the thing that annoys me the most about being asked that question is the, the fact that, number one, people might not understand that you've already considered how big the logo should be within the context of what you've designed, but uh, also that by making the logo bigger, essentially you're having to change the design in its entirety, um, just because everything is interlinked when you're, when you're designing. Um, so, yeah, and also a bigger logo isn't necessarily more visible. Do you think that perhaps people who ask you to make the logo bigger um, are more concerned with just making use of uh, available space to them uh, and not really thinking about the overall strategic uh, design? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I suppose um, it comes down to when people are looking at a design of something and they, they're maybe not analysing it in the same way as somebody who's got more of a kind of design skill would. And if they do just see a big space near it, they can go, oh, it can go 20% bigger there. Do you, do you find that, um, I don't know what areas of, of design you work in, but if you, you know, obviously graphics, but if you work internally mm. or work for uh, freelance, etc., yeah. do you find that there's a range, that there's, there's certain people who do appreciate that and maybe others that you know, don't? Definitely. Um, well, I, I work in, um, I'm an internal designer, I work in an internal design department, mm. um, but I have worked for an agency as well. And um, yeah, I mean, it just, it's a combination of things as to whether somebody, um, whether somebody understands uh, where you're coming from when you've laid out a design, but also I think you will come across people who understand what you're trying to do, but um, you also have to understand what they're trying to do. So I do appreciate um, quite often the, the logo bigger one for me is a sponsor logo. Yes. So it's not the logo of the organisation I work for, it's the logo of the sponsor of whoever's sponsoring whatever we're doing. And, um, and it's not necessarily that the sponsor is asking for the logo to be bigger, it's the people who are trying to get the money out of the sponsor who want to show that logo as big as possible so they can sell the sponsorship to the next person and the next person. And, 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 and in some ways, it's, it's an education process uh, from the design side, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel that you know, designers should be more involved with educating how best to apply these sort of... Uh, it's definitely part of a designer's job to help somebody understand why they've designed the thing the way they've designed it, um, especially if they're not getting it or, or don't understand it. Um, so, yeah, I think a designer um, should... A designer should be able to explain why making it bigger 
would affect change to the rest of the thing, but also um, come to an understanding with, because, you, you know, as a designer, you still are working for a client. So um, sometimes you just have to make that logo bigger. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Hello. My name is Clive Gilman. I'm director of Creative Industries at Creative Scotland. Um, the question that I've chosen is a question that says, well, where is the line between art and design? Um, and I suppose my response to that is that on one level, there is no line. Um, both art and design are definitions of communities of interest. The line, if it exists, is between people. It's not between the thing itself, because the thing can be anything we want it to be. Um, and the issue for me, I suppose, is that if people choose to stay in one of those places and not venture into the other one, then that's not such a good thing. Why do you think people put the line there in the first place? Because they want to be part of a community. They choose which community is the one they want to be part of and they, they will then surround themselves by the assets, the tropes, the cloaks of that community and operate from within that. And that's, that's sometimes a good thing. It sometimes brings cohesion, it brings inspiration, it brings um, comradeship. Um, but ultimately, if it's separating yourself out from other possibilities, then I think that's always a problem. So what do you think people can do to challenge themselves to move beyond that? I, well, I suppose the thing is not to get hung up on definitions. Um, speaking as somebody who gets hung up on definitions and does it, gets hung up on them quite frequently, um, the important thing for me is keeping in a place where you are constantly defining and redefining your community and keeping those doors open for other people to join you in that space. So if you are an artist, if you are a designer, when you're making design, you are a designer. If you choose to make something that you want to define as art, then you're an artist. You can follow that route and build the communities of interest. You build your communities of interest around the things that you feel are important. Thank you very much. Uh, right, so I'm Annie Mars. Uh, I am the project coordinator with uh, Dundee's UNESCO City of Design and Place Partnership Programme, and we deliver uh, aspects of Dundee's cultural strategy. Okay, and what is your question? My question is, what is your favourite breakfast? And what is? Um, I don't eat breakfast. Which um. might be why it's been picked. Um, Okay, so let's say, why don't you eat breakfast? Uh, why don't I eat breakfast? Because I, to be honest with you, I would rather have the extra half an hour in bed, so I'm not a morning person. Okay. So, yeah, I tend to, like, alarm goes off at the last minute possible, um, get up, have a shower, get dressed, pick up my stuff and walk straight out the door. So don't do, don't do like, morning news, don't do watching television, don't have a cup of tea, don't even go like into the kitchen, straight outdoor. Okay, so what if I said to you, you could prepare breakfast the night before and put it in your bag and eat it at work? Do you know, it, this is a bit of a weird food. 
Um, but you know when you kind of mush up um, porridge oats, but with yogurt? Yes. Yes. That and then like some blueberries or some strawberries or something in a thing. And then when you leave it overnight, it gets really, really mushy and gloopy. That's what it would be. Okay, so your name, please. My name is Zoe Vendatotsi. And what question have you chosen, Zoe? My question is, are you happy? And my answer to that is yes, mostly. But I think that we're too focused on people being happy. And actually, I think being a human, part of our condition is to be unhappy. And that's okay. Do you think we get influenced quite a lot through, through uh, media and things that we read into to following a particular I think set definitely, path? yeah. I think that we watch a lot of American programmes where everything's really beautifully styled and then don't think about there being more texture to your life than just, you know, everything looking Instagram ready. And that concerns me. But also because because I'm creative myself, I think that you, you know, I don't believe in that like mad artist thing, but I think that definitely you need to experience some difficulties in order to make art. And how could we, um, how could we move forward as a, as a, as a human race to, to have better happiness and less materialisticness? Read more and think that everybody can make something artistic and that creativity is a really important part of being a human and spend more time making stuff and less time consuming stuff. Okay, uh, I'm Piers Duplock. I'm the producer at EGO and also a director at Creative Dundee. Uh, my question is, are designers born or made? So I think... Uh, just personal opinion, they're definitely made. You know, you've got to, got to learn through adversity sometimes, um, and you've got to learn through different points of view. I don't think, don't think you could just be born into being a good designer. I think your decisions shape you and stuff like that. Yeah, I suppose it's that, that nature versus nurture, isn't it? Yeah. But I think you're always going to need that, that nurture, no matter, no matter what you do, and it's that sort of repetition of your practice and the, the sort of, what is it, 10,000 hours to, to become good at anything. Oh, I've heard that stat before. Mm. That's a very good, yeah, that's a very good thing. Like, um, you know, you're never going to get good at something if you don't practice it. Um, so the more practice you put in, the more hard hours you put in, the better you can get. But then do you think that some people will naturally be better designers than others, even if they've had the same training? Uh, that's a good question. Like, uh, there is like people are born more creative, I think, than than others. Um, but it depends on like what you design and, and what your goal is and stuff like that. Um, so uh, for me, I'm I'm more analytical. So my designs would be more um, more analytics focused, but uh, rather than the creative side of the stuff. But uh, if that's what you're going for, then then you've got to You've got to account for that, really. My name's Peter. Uh, I work as a minister to the visual arts community in Glasgow. I'm an artist and a Church of Scotland minister at the same time. And my question is, why should we care about typography? How do you know it's a butcher's? Or how do you know it's a card shop, a stationer's, because of the typography? I grew up in the 60s where typography just came alive. 
Every single letter says something. Before you've even read the word, you understand what it is because of the way it's been shaped. You know? People can look at Gothic German in Britain and think of its past. But when you look at something like Helvetica, Futura, something like that, you're seeing the future. Or maybe you're seeing the present and you're reading what your life has told you over the years, what every word has said. It's not just what is said, it's the way it's said. If I shouted this at you, you would pull back. If I whisper it, then you come closer. Some words look like they shout because of the typography. So typography can actually help us communicate peace and joy, friendship, clarity, or typography can shout loud and say things like keep out. So that's why it's really important, because it means the words speak before they even speak. Wim Kruel is Dutch typographer, absolutely amazing guy. I read in the Lighthouse in Glasgow a little description of his work. Um, his work has designed the writing of our generation. When we look, we see Wim Kruel. And that's the way I read. I see his work everywhere. It's amazing. The most creative typographers help shape the way we think. I don't know. I read the dandy or the beano and see the... You can actually see the way the headline, the name of the paper in the comic is written. And you know it's wonderful. It's full of fun. Or I can read some textbook from a university and the words are set in times old Roman and they feel heavy and you feel like you want to fall asleep before you've even read the second paragraph. So it communicates. So that's why typography is important. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I totally agree. And it's, like, it's, it's that emotion and it's that, that content and context that mm. can be in a typeface and how you kern it, how you space it, how you colour it, how you weight it. All those different things can add to something, uh, add a real story, a backstory, a sort of theme to it. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the DC Thompson, like the, the letters, there's, a, there's an amazing series of cards in the shop that are just single letters oh, and they just, they give you so much and it's just so playful and fun as, as you mentioned. But what I want to ask is, um, is there a particular piece of type that stands out? Um, Wim Krul, I mentioned him already. He's um, created a uh, 1970s for a gallery in uh, Netherlands. He created an amazing um, font or typeface, Stelyuk Archetype. It's almost pixelated. It's, a little, it's done in squares. Um, and this was in the 70s, long before there was pixelated, pixelated um, typefaces. And uh, it gave me a gift. Um, I created an art piece using uh, alternating colours of jam jars, iron brew, it's from Glasgow, iron brew and water, and Wim Krul's um, pixelated um, kind of typeface just gave everything. So I didn't even have to create it. I could just say, thank you, Wim, this is just amazing. So yeah, that's my favourite. But at the bottom of all, there's Helvetica. What can you do? You know, no serifs. Live free. Imagine what the world can be rather than having to find what the world has always been. Although it's hard to read when it's faced against each other. So there you go, there's my two. Helvetica and, uh, of course, Stelic uh, Archetype. Okay, so your name, please? Mary MacLeod Gray. And your question? 
My question is, there's no such thing as a bad designer. Um, that's a lie. <laughs> there is definitely such a thing as bad designers. I know quite a few. And uh, how, how have you experienced uh, this in the past? Um, I think I'm a designer, and I'm not saying I'm good or bad, but I've definitely, when you're working, you quite often have to take on work from other people. So if you're working on a job and someone else has done it, you get it, you start working on it. And yes, there's some very, very bad designers out there. And do you think bad designers are uh, difficult for the industry or for other designers? Does it, does it, cause, does it cause issues for clients? and how they interact with good designers? I think definitely. It sort of it dilutes what good design is. You know, so people that are out there that are mediocre at best, and there are lots of very confident people out there that are really, really not good. And how do you suggest we deal with them? Um, I would suggest striking them off. <laughs> you are not a designer. <laughs> Still banding that word around. There's, there's not an official body that, min, that, no. that, that monitors design um, as such and, and hands out the title of designer. It can mm. be applied uh, tomorrow if you wanted to. Yeah, um, that's, that's the problem. Mm. <laughs> there is no body that can actually you know, collate your work and grade you on what you actually do and you know, verify, okay, this is a good designer, this is not a designer, this is someone who just wants to, the title. I should probably say that the question you're answering was written by somebody who was a client who was answering, who, who, who was uh, responding to the question about uh, a similar question about clients. Mm. So I think it probably only fair to ask you, you know, is there such a thing as a, uh, a bad client? Yes, <laughs> lots of bad clients. <laughs> no, I think what constitutes a bad client is someone that actually um, dictates too much of the project. People that come in and have the answer already. So they are looking to you just to re basically recreate what they want, which is fine, you know, if it's a good design, but really if you're coming to someone that pro that's their professional job, why do you not look to them to actually come up with a creative solution, which is going to be better than, unless you're in that industry anyway, I would say that nine times out of ten. But going back then to the, the bad designer, is it the bad designers that then create those bad clients because they've had experience of each other in the past? Ah. Yeah, well, that's a good point, actually. Probably, probably it's that people that haven't had good re uh, relationships or, or good end products from designers, I can absolutely understand why they'd feel frustrated, and because it's expensive process as well, and inevitably you're working with, you know, on projects that people feel really passionate about, be it that, that it's their own business or people that they work for, so they're under pressure to get, you know, good results from that sort of respect, but. Every time you work with someone, it's really, you know, you, they're expecting great things from you, and if you're not delivering that, then, yeah, that's a problem. The one thing I've noticed, uh, I work in design as well, and I've noticed that when I work with clients uh, who have internal design teams, mm -hmm. the relationship is always different when they yeah. deal with me than a, when, uh, if I deal with a client that doesn't have an internal design team, mm -hmm. and there becomes there's definitely more of a hierarchical structure mm -hmm. that they try and impose. Um, because that's probably what they're used to. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so I, that was more of a statement than a question, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good, that's, that's all we need. I'm Julie Neeson, I'm director of Creative Dundee, and my question, my, what is it? Is that a point? It's not a question. Statement. 
Maybe. My statement is the process is as important as the outcome. So this takes me back um, nearly 20 years ago to having those big words actually embellished on a piece within my degree show, which is kind of weird. I pretty much said that uh, the process is more important than the outcome. So reading those words, it was kind of brought it all back to me uh, just now. And I suppose that was the first uh, epiphany moment that I had about design not just being a finished thing, but an actual process. And now it's something I guess I see on a day-to-day basis that it's really important to kind of keep capturing um, the moments that are within the process rather than like just going on about the final thing. Yeah, because I suppose a, a lot of what Creative Dundee is about is helping people find that process and work through things. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And a lot of the events, I mean, that's why we were keen to do Make Share, which is a night, a monthly night about sharing the process behind art, culture, design. It's, it's about people getting the space to kind of speak about what they do, because, yeah, it's, all, it's always hidden. And I think that's probably another topic or a statement topic. But, um, yeah, and so that's why things like the Design Festival are great for showing the process behind products and services and experiences. <clears throat> yeah. But it's often the, 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 sort of the last thing we do because, I mean, I think for me, particularly because I'm much more of a visual designer, I suppose, mm. um, and that it's all about the output. It's about what goes out into the world. And then that, that process is often very difficult to document or yeah. very difficult to document in a way that's aesthetically pleasing, if mm. you like. Um, yeah. And I think that came up in the film last night, Graphical Means. Graphic Means. Graphic um, Means. Which was, like, there's been a big thing about the sort of sexiness of finished design, and actually it makes people forget what goes into it. And actually, for me, that film last night was useful for reminding me how much goes into making things happen, whether it be a newspaper or a piece of finished graphic design artwork. Um, so I, I think even though I'm pretty familiar with the behind the scenes of stuff, I still find it fascinating to actually see behind the scenes. And it, it oh, yeah, often we're just wooed with like finished stuff all the time. Yeah. What, 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 like, does that annoy you as a designer that, that the client maybe doesn't always see the process or understand the process? I think very much if a client doesn't understand the process, um, it makes life a lot more difficult. Yeah. But then I think it's part of the designer's role to involve the client in the process and help them understand how that works. Yep. In sort of, of two ways, to ensure that the client's getting the most out of the project, it's actually working for them. Yep. Um, and also that it's just a bit more transparent, because I think everyone should know more about the design process, especially if you're in the realm of where you're commissioning work or paying for design yeah. work to be done. Yeah, you, you're going to get a better job, you're going to get a more satisfying output if you're part of it and have more knowledge of what's actually happening. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any, sorry, I'm turning the tables, but are there any design processes that are about 
Just the process, sorry. Are there any dialing practices that are just about the process? I've been trying to think of any. I suppose like service design, I suppose that's maybe what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, architecture, video games, everybody is often about the final outcome. But is that not how the, any design process is set up for a, a predetermined output? No, I hope not, because life would be really boring. Well, See, maybe not. Okay, maybe predetermined is the, is the wrong word, but it's set up to create an output. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we go into the territory of design or art and all that. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, I suppose you're right. So how do you create a process where the output is the process? Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that one. <laughs> Neither do I, but it'd be fun trying it. But then I suppose, yeah. But what you've done with Creative Chit Chat is, is like a process, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rather than a, I mean, you, yes, you have lots of lovely outputs weekly, but actually the, the oh, some bigger than the parts and all that, you know, like what you're doing is, is a bigger process than maybe you initially expected is it absolutely it's 10 times as much work as i thought it was going to be yeah. <laughs> and at the start i thought it was going to be more work than i could ever have done myself but yeah yeah okay so it changes wow thoughts about time and space and <laughs> life on earth <laughs> yeah i'm sophie purvis and i was asked if i'm afraid of dying and what's your answer no and why, why are you not scared? Because surely, surely most people are scared, no? I'm not scared of dying because it's going to happen to everyone eventually. So you may as well go for what you want to do in life. That's good. I, like, I love the, the positivity in that, that message. And uh, yeah, I think we're often too pessimistic about death. And it maybe worries too many people. But it's more about enjoying what you do. Um, so have you any idea of what you want to do going forward? Bungee jump. You want to bungee jump? Eventually go to university. Yeah? What would you like to study? History, geography or English, just in general. With the goal of, well, what would you like to do once you've been to university? Sell a book. Oh, what would you, what would you write it on? Probably ways to find the bright in, in, in bad situations. Okay, um, my name is Jennifer Jones. Um, I currently run my own sort of business around um, media for communities. And I picked the question, what, are your, what is your non-negotiables? Which I'm kind of regretting it now, but Actually, I was talking to my friend on Facebook, on Messenger, on the train up to Dundee, and we were actually just talking about what, how people behave and what you can handle and what, what boundaries you have, because she's been going through quite a hard time recently, and we were kind of comparing stories, and I was just thinking about what are people's uh, non-negotiables, because for me, I'm like to consider myself non-judgmental, people have got some stuff going on and stuff like that, but there's certain lines when a boundary's crossed. And I think, for me, non-negotiables is when people 
shame other people rather than having kind of empathy. So rather than having a boundary around particular behaviour, I think the worst behaviour people could have is being shaming. To be to shame, oh sorry, to to shame and then to um, use information or knowledge about somebody against them. And I think that for me is a non-negotiable. Um, and also, what's non-negotiable is when you're working and being exploited. So I think also if you ask somebody to do any work or to do anything, you have to kind of offer a trade in partnership and agreement. So yeah, that's definitely my non-negotiable. So my name is Charlie Clebo Rogers and uh, I'm a third year product designer, uh, just going into fourth year. And the question on the card is, what's your design process? So I didn't really have a fleshed out design process before. I used to just kind of do a wee bit of research and then I just make straight away. Um, having done a module this year based around a really stringent, well not a stringent, but a kind of defined design process called find, play, make, talk. Um, I was able to kind of um, follow that quite easily in a sense that I knew what I should be doing for each part of the process. So I kinda, you give yourself deliverables for like the fine stage. We did two research books of uh, insight generated product ideas. So I was making a light. That was all the brief was, was to make a light for a company I was working with track. And I was able to produce, I think it was like um, 84 like 30 second sketches with an insight. Um, really, really quick, really messy, but still illustrating your idea quite effectively. And then the fine process was, and that was the fine process, the play process was getting a form for that. So really quick, dirty prototyping, cardboard, um, paper, blue foam, that kind of thing. And getting a form ready for the make stage. And then you had like a big chunk of time to actually just make the form make it as well as you could out of the, the materials that you wanted to choose. So I eventually made a, a wood-turned torch that followed coordinate points and it followed um, compass directions, so north, east, south and west. It would only turn on when it faced that way. The top part of the process was um, you displaying all your work in a presentation, so like you had like three boards and um, you also had like a, like a 20 second pitch to the industry guys. So that's my design process. I'm Claire. I'm Emily. I'm Caroline. And the question is, what makes you happy on rainy days? So what does? Well, we were, we were just saying that we actually quite like rainy days. There's nothing wrong with rainy days. I really like the smell it creates. Um, I can't remember if it's the grass or it's the dust on the tarmac or something like that, but there's just a great when it hasn't rained for ages. Yeah, and it hasn't rained for ages this month and it's amazingly good for the garden that it's got some rain. Um, I took my 18 month old out in the, uh, in the thunderstorm the other day in the evenings and she was so excited. She was like, all wet, all wet, all wet. <laughs> I've never heard anyone so excited <laughs> about being out in the rain. It was something completely new. It was absolutely brilliant. It was, uh, it was my husband's idea. One of those things I wouldn't have done, like taking the baby outside in the cold rain, but it was, it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I didn't manage to record it. It's one of those things we'll have to remember. Oh, wait. <laughs> I like rainy days now that I discovered that warm, waterproof boots exist. But when I was younger, I hated rainy days because having wet feet makes me irrationally angry. But now it doesn't because I have... Okay, um, Andy Truscott. Um, 
I'm part of Team UNESCO, um, one of the assistant coordinators for the festival, um, but I'm also a composer um, under the name Kim Ray. That's what I do. Okay, and what's your question? Creatives have to be extroverted. Okay, so I suppose it's more of a statement. So what's more your feeling on that? Then? Disagree. I think I'm very... I guess I see myself as kind of a creative, So, and I think I'm very introverted. Why do you think you're introverted? I don't know. I get nervous very easily. I'm quite an anxious person. I don't know why. I hate sort of like public speaking and all that sort of thing. So do you perform your music? I do. And you don't have the same amount of anxiety around that? No, not, no, not at all. Why do you think that is then? Because I'm passionate about what I do, I think. It makes a big difference. I kind of have some degree of knowledge in what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose when you perform, you're probably performing to like-minded people. Yeah. Probably a lot of your peers, so. Yeah. You're yeah. more relaxed by that audience, if you like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do still get really nervous, but I don't know. I guess the outcome's really positive. Hmm. Like, once you've performed, you get that sort of buzz and, I don't know, that adrenaline, adrenaline rush, like, I don't know. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I'm... I am introverted, but I think I have moments of extroversion. I'm totally like that as well. Mm. I think, yeah, I, I'm very quiet when I first meet people. Yes. And you. Um, I think I've, I've, I've always been, like, conscious of that. So I've tried to... I think I'm getting better at not being as quiet. But I think you, you can force yourself into those kinds of situations where you need to approach people and yeah. make conversation even just being around the festival and like speaking to people that you don't necessarily know um, and making those sort of connections is is hard but you, when you know you need to do it you just have to get on and, and yeah, do it absolutely yeah absolutely I think if you're passionate about something as well it does make it a lot easier to give the good chat and yeah, can you just work and all that sort of thing yeah there's a comfort in that I suppose yeah, yeah I mean some people are just naturally good at talking to people it goes both ways I guess it is good to be expert and so you can talk to people really easily and all that I mean that's a massive benefit but then I don't know I think there's space for both I yeah think. absolutely I think there is as well and you need to find the right times to, to fit that model yeah totally um, so the first question what is innovative design it is um one word uh, preceding, uh, 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 no, I fucking hate the word innovative. I find it's meaningless. It's meaningless design. No, that's not good either. Um, I don't want to answer this one. Done. Right. How do you define yourself? You get a better one. I'm a designer. Great. Why do you like slash don't like design? I really like design because I find it completes me. And I really slash hate design because it makes me nauseous. Terrible. Digital is dead. No, it's not. It's everywhere. And there's just no escaping it, and there will be no escaping it in the future. Good. Can you imagine a world without design? Yep. Although it's very, very slow, uh, naked, and eventually disease-ridden. Are you a designer? Yes. How do you make choices? 
intuitively. Who slash what do you think of when you say design? I think of work, uh, probably the office, so Fleet Collective, and probably horribly, I, I generally think of a screen and a laptop. Nice. I think of Helvetica, a capital D, and somebody like Ron Arad. That's what I think of. It's terrible, isn't it? It's a very well-curated uh, yeah, yeah. aesthetic uh, visual. Um, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yep, totally. Dundee is UK's number one design university. Full stop. According to The Guardian, it is. Okay. <laughs> but we can always do better. Will the robots take over design? No, not, not take over. No. Do you prefer Shrek or Twilight? You get the good questions. I know. It's got to be Shrek, right? Because I'm not a big vampire fan and it's a bit no. boppery for me. I, I mean, I, I think Shrek is also pretty gash, to be fair. Isn't it? Like somebody doing a fake Scottish accent. It's quite annoying. I mean, there's a lot of lovable qualities in Shrek, though. Yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe. More so than Twilight, surely. I've, I've never seen it. never seen Twilight. I, yeah, Although, I what's his name? Rob, Robert Patterson, is that his name? Or Robert Pattinson, I think, maybe. Is he the guy that, who speaks about um, economics on Radio 4? The guy who looks like his face is a knee. That guy. <laughs> Yeah. Or that it's been split in two and then another section of somebody else's face has been put in between. Anyway, okay, you get a good one. Go. How much is enough research? I always think, I was advised by somebody, a really good artist called Sharon Morris, to start writing and then uh, make your argument and then do the research afterwards. I, I think that something good happens when you do that. So how much is too much research was the question? How much is enough? How much is enough? Nothing, I think, is a good way to start. Yeah. What are you waiting on? What am I waiting on? That's like, geez. If I shout into this, does it peak too much? What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? A beer. Okay, good. What is a meatless prawn? Fucking hell, I love this question so much. What is a meatless prawn? Uh, is it kind of macerated shell? Maybe that's what it is. You can get kind of seafood stock, I suppose, that's made from like all the bits and bobbins, the legs and the t teeth. It's, it's, it's prawn teeth. That's what it is. See, I've prom. got a thing about um, vegan or vegetarian items being named the same as meat-based items. Oh, right. Is that where it comes from? Well, I I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't really understand the context of that question. Well, do you know what? Prong cocktail is just kind of a Worcester sauce and tomato flavour. So maybe it's just a kind of a Worcester tomato. Maybe that's mm -hmm. what it is. Potentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the Worcester sauce has got anchovy um, sauce mm -hmm. in it, fish sauce in it. Yeah. So it's just dried tomato with spices. That's what it is. Okay. Should Corbin get in? No. Okay. What are bad colour combinations? People used to say uh, blue and black, but blue and black's in. People used to say brown and black. That's got to come back. Brown and black? Yeah, brown and black. I think it's all relative. It depends on where, what, when, and yeah. how. I quite like things that clash a little bit, but not necessarily on people. But in, um, I, I, yeah, I kind of like the awkward, awkwardness of colours together. I think that can be quite good. So yeah, yeah no, in, no rules. In, in the right context. Yeah in the, yeah, in the right context, yeah. If you were a typeface, what one would you be? Oh. Don't say Comic Sans. It's difficult to name just one. I don't know if I can name a typeface, but I can, I can name the characteristics of the type that I would be. On, yeah. um, so I think I would probably be a bit rough around the edges, mm -hmm. a bit of texture in uh -huh. there. Um, I quite like things that are really bold and heavy and mm -hmm. shouty. And but you're not shouty. No, not as a person, but I think in this type of things I like to design. Okay, but okay, right, so something that's more close to you and your character. Well, then, I suppose I'm very much an introvert, I you? think. Okay. Um, yeah. I have extroverted tendencies, but I'm very much an introvert. Uh -huh. um, so maybe it would be something a little more subtle if it was to represent my personality. Right. Um, with a little bit of flair. So probably 
some yeah some nice flary serifs like Baskerville point. maybe or Baskerville's potentially yeah yeah I mean, that's quite a quiet little one isn't it yeah but then it, then it makes me go oh, is that me is that too boring oh, no I love I love Baskerville there's you know it's like the, the guy who talked about in that graphic means film actually sometimes you only need well I disagree with this but he was saying that you only need four or five fonts yeah I don't agree with that either which font do you use mostly day to day so if you were just writing something in a word document then right so if I was just doing something really quickly I'd probably go to Proxima Nova okay. which is a very sort of generic Helvetica-esque font that's a little more condensed and curved okay um, Good. very clean simple right yeah last question for me okay go on do you like having your photo taken I don't mind it, but all the preparation that goes into me taking a, uh, for, for me to have a photo taken never pays off. Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> so, again, I feel that as a bald man, my head, chin and neck can often blend in in a photograph, so I just look like an eraser on the top of a pencil. So the, there are some preparations I've done in the past to try and get away from that. And sometimes that's opening my mouth when I smile, so there's some distinction between the flesh. Um, but quite often what happens is I look like a kind of Ardman character, I think. So do I like having a photograph taken? Yeah, I don't mind it. I quite like having it taken next to my brothers because we look very, very similar, although I think they are slightly less attractive than me, which means that I look really, really attractive in comparison, I think. So yeah, we look like kind of a bunch of knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> that's us. Well, that's the end of the design festival. That's a good way to end it, That's it, yeah, with a yeah. bunch of knuckles. With a bunch of knuckles. <laughs> And that was episode 36. I suppose it remains to say thank you to everyone who contributed to Punch In, Punch Out and Dundee Design Festival for having us. Um, it was such an amazingly fun uh, experience and such a great little installation. There may well be a little Punch In, Punch Out-esque uh, feature coming to the podcast in the relatively near future. Um, but I'll tell you more about that nearer the time. But what remains to say uh, this week is thanks to our sponsors, so Joanne Clevier Dance and their production of The North, which is happening 30th of September at 8pm at the Rep Theatre. So that's reptheatre.co.uk forward slash event forward slash The North um, or all the details are in the show notes. And remember, there's also that 4 till 6pm session where you can go along and sketch the dancers um, at their open rehearsal. Um, and then the obviously the discussion afterwards. So yeah, I mean that's it for this week. If you don't already follow us, uh, it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee, and that's where all the latest info will be on upcoming episodes and new releases. So until next week, goodbye.